So bet you didn't know. I bet you didn't know this about houseflies, that houseflies hum in the key of F. So from now on, if you need the key of F and there's no one around, just listen for a fly and you'll be set. I bet you didn't know this about the movie Twister. Remember the movie Twister? A recording of a camel's moan was slowed down and used as the sound of the tornado. Bet you didn't know this about that flashing light that's atop the Capitol Records Tower in Hollywood. It is in Morse code and it spells out the word Hollywood. Bet you didn't know that. Bet you didn't know this about a praying mantis, that the female praying mantis chews her partner's head off during mating. I bet he didn't know about it. <laughs> so guys, I bet you there's some things about ladies that you probably need to know for your own benefit. In these next weeks, we're going to look at life issues regarding marriage, regarding sexuality, regarding difficult people. And it's an amazing thing as you study this, you realize that those difficult life issues have not changed from century to century. They're still the same. They were the same issues that Paul the Apostle was addressing when he sent a letter to his friends in Corinth in the first century. He was responding to a letter dealing with relational and theological issues. Because they were so pumped about having faith in Jesus, and as Paul would explain in other letters, that... that as you put your faith in Jesus, as he died and was buried, we die and are buried to our old life. And as he was resurrected, we are resurrected to a new life. And Paul, in fact, Paul would say that we are raised into the heavenly realms. These folks, understanding that teaching, began to place themselves in their own minds in the heavenly realms. And they said, because we are there, we are just like the angels. And we have, have gone beyond this physical body. And now we're in the spiritual realm, although we still live on earth. And so they considered themselves like angels, and one of the things they considered themselves like angels was in the fact that angels are not married. There is no marriage relationship with angels. And therefore, they said, if we're in that realm, then we don't need marriage anymore. So they were encouraging those people who were not married not to get married, and those who were married, they said, if you really want to be spiritual, get a divorce. And then... To, to deal with the issue of, okay, now we've done that, but we still have these sexual cravings, they said, well, go ahead and have sex with a prostitute to get back to the spiritual realm. So in our passage this morning, if you'd read just before that passage, you see where Paul has dealt with that whole thing of prostitution. And then he begins to tell them about God's design for marriage. And I want us to focus there this morning in 1 Corinthians, the 7th chapter. And here's what he says. Now, getting down to the questions you asked in your letter to me, first, is it good? Is it a good thing to have sexual relations? Certainly, but only within a certain context, it's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. And sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife and the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. And marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other whether in bed or out. 
Abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time if you both agree to it, and if it is for the purposes of prayer and fasting, but only for such times. Then come back together again, for Satan has an ingenious way of tempting us when we least expect it. I'm not, understand, commanding these periods of abstinence, only providing my best counsel if you should choose them. About 35 years ago, I asked Pam to marry me. And in my naivety, and I want to define naivety for you, straight out of the dictionary, naivety is not previously subjected to experimentation, not having to have that experience as of yet, deficient in informed judgment. Naivety. See, all I knew was that she was incredibly gorgeous, and I knew I couldn't live without her, and that we were going to get married, and we are going to live in wedded bliss, because we are just so much alike. I had no idea that I had married another life form <laughs> of which I knew nothing. As we have grown to this marriage, I still crave her, but I must confess that so often I am confused by her. So bet you didn't know this about the girl you love, guys. She is forever complicated. And it takes time, I'm telling you, it takes time to learn about these complications. It takes time to understand that if the dishes need to be done and you don't go do the dishes, volunteer to do the dishes, it will upset her. But if without prompting you go do the dishes, she'll come up next to you and say, oh, you don't need to do that. It takes time to figure out that when there is a problem that she needs solved, she doesn't need it solved because if you solve it, that becomes the problem. It takes time to understand that if she asks you to go paint a room and you think by painting the room you're done, you're wrong because in her mind, there's a whole picture of what painting the room is also connected to. It takes time to figure out that when she says, I'm ready to go. It does not mean go get in the car. It does mean I'm about ready to pass through the house to see what needs to be cleaned, collected, and thrown in the washing machine. And if on the way out the door, she happens to pass a mirror and looks and thinks, just one, just, just one very little thing is out of place, she will stop and go put on the fourth outfit. She will. And I want to tell you that she has this incredible perception that she knows that by the time you are frustrated with the fourth outfit and she asks you how it looks, she knows when you're lying. And never, ever, ever, never, when she says, how do I look, say fine, because in her mind, she translates that as, oh, that's ugly, I'll go change again. Because it takes time, I want to tell you that marriage has stages. That first stage is what we call the honeymoon stage, and it can last for one, two, three, sometimes four years. This is that stage where the little idiosyncrasies about her are cute. Honey... Do you know that when you sleep, you whistle through your nose? That is the cutest thing I've ever heard. I think you were whistling Dixie last night. 
And I made up words. You want to hear them? Somewhere after those two or three years, you hit the discovery stage, and that is when that cute little whistle sounds like a freight train in the middle of the night. It is when those cutesy little idiosyncrasies become incredibly annoying. And what scares you is you know that she's not going to change. That's the way she is. Now, as you battle that, you will then come to the decision stage. And that decision stage is when you ask the question, is she the wrong person? Did I marry the wrong person? And evidently, especially in America, that around the seventh year, about 50% of the marriages in America fail. Because somewhere in there is this decision, I married the wrong person, because if I married the right person, I would be okay. So I need to get rid of this one and go find the right person. And it's more intensified in the church because understand that that now the statistics show that the divorce rate is higher in the church than outside the church. We have this thing in our minds that said that God will lead me to the right person, the perfect person, the individual that is designed for me. I I, I really don't hope I destroy your theology, but I want to tell you, you're going to have trouble finding anywhere in Scripture where God says, this is the one for you. Except one time. His name was Adam. And the reason he chose her was because she was the only one. Not much choice except for the armadillo, and he didn't go for that, so there you are. God intends for us to ask him to give us wisdom that we would perceive who that person is, take time to get to know them, and understand if if we have this companionship and, and to come together and then to say, yes, we will spend forever together. And then Jesus, when he was here on earth, describes what God does with our decision. So Jesus says in Mark 10 these words. Jesus replied, But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female, and for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together... Let no man separate. What God has joined together means that when you made the decision and you made the vow, and I said to Pam, Pam, I want you forever. God said, okay, I'm putting you together now, and I'm gluing you together so that you will grow together forever. While you're here on this earth, there will be this union and this joining together. And therefore, what I've joined together, let no humanity, nothing man-made, separate. And that word separate actually means to put space in between. Let there be nothing that spaces between you and that one you have chosen and made a vow to. Keep the spaces out. And see the complications that we have in communicating with each other and the differences in how we think create those spaces that begin to separate us. And God says, I've given you the ability to work through that so you get rid of those spaces and where there should be space, now there is this joining and this union together. It's not so much finding Miss Wright. It is deciding that I will not miss doing what's right. That's the issue. And it's a whole lot easier if you take time to get to know the person so that you know that you are compatible. That is why I say, and I I strongly urge, that people have long courtships so that you see that person in as many scenarios as possible and then short engagements. Because once you've made up your mind, why wait? 
become one. And when you do, you walk through the door of marriage. And when you get in the door of marriage, you shut the door. You lock the door. You get rid of the key. And you wallpaper over the door. For us to be able to deal with the differences in our lives, the complexities that are there, to work through the spaces that are there just because who we are, to work through those as God has designed for us, will take time. And God says, I give you the ability. Those complexities will bring spaces. God says, I give you time to work through those spaces, and therefore we must give the time. And I'm going to tell you something. If I come to the place where I say those spaces are just too uncomfortable to deal with, I want out of this marriage. I will tell you that if I get married again, I will come to that same spot again where the spaces will be there and I must decide what I'm going to do. But I want to tell you this, that if you have divorced and been remarried, you have discovered that not only do you have to deal with the spaces of that new person you are with, but you're still carrying the spaces of the old person relationship you were with because you never dealt with them back then either. And now you have even complicated the relationship further. That's why we need that time. And in that time, here's one of the first things that God wants us to deal with, one of those spaces, and it's this, that she wants you to say, I still do. It's not that she didn't believe you when you stood in that Vegas chapel with Elvis giving you the vows. Or with that Episcopalian priest in the cathedral or at the justice of the peace down at the courthouse. It's not that she didn't believe you then. It's just that she is built to have to hear it again and again that I still do. When he said, do you take her and you said, I do, she needs to continue to hear, I still do take you. Would it surprise you to know that four out of five women sometimes feel insecure? In fact, some on a regular basis and some periodically, but four out of five sometimes feel insecure about their man's love. When this insecurity is triggered, it produces, actually produces pain and can even debilitate that lady. She can become preoccupied. She can become withdrawn. She can become depressed. She can become aggressive. And we guys, just in our incredible wisdom, when we begin to understand they're dealing with those issues, we come forth with these great words. Well, get over it. The problem is this, that a woman is built, that emotion will overcome logic, and all you can do is say, here are the reasons why I, it's okay, I still, I still do. If, if she doesn't feel it, it's not real. In fact, understand this, that not, feel, not feeling loved is the same as not being loved in her mind. Understand it. And you say, well, that doesn't make sense. Not in your mind. So what do we do with that? Well, God shows us what he does. Hear these words. Paul writes them to the church at Ephesus, and he says this in Ephesians 1, 4. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, God had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love. When did he decide? 
long before the earth was founded, that he chose you. He's not just talking in a general, okay, the people, the six billion people on earth. He said, I chose you. And, and the intent here is you as an individual, God chose you. Turn to the person next to you and say, hey, God chose you. Turn to him again and say, hey, no kidding, he did. Say it again, I, I really mean it. Tell him, I really mean it. Okay. God chose you. And you would think that God would say, okay, I've announced it, I chose you, now get on with it. But here's what he does. Paul goes on and describes this in Romans 8. God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is and we know who we are, father and children. Here's what God says. I told you, I chose you. But so that you will understand it, I'm going to give you my spirit that every day as you listen to the spirit of God, he will say to you, God chose 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 you. Not only that, but he said, I'm going to send you my holy scriptures. And if you read them every day, you'll hear him say from his love letter, I chose you, I chose you, I chose you, I chose you. Not only that, but he said, I will send you messengers. I will send you apostles. I will send you people who will speak for my, on my behalf. And as you listen to them, they will say to you, these messengers will say, God chose you, God chose you, God chose you, God chose you, so that you will get what he's trying to say, which is what? God chose you. God announces it. The Holy Spirit reconfirms it. The scriptures declare it. And he sends others who will tell you, God chose you. Now, guys... If that's what God does for us, and he's our pattern, do you think it's good enough just for the, for the day you get married? I, I chose you, and that's good enough. Huh. We have a pattern. God's spirit keeps reassuring us, and so I want to say to us today, guys, that we must reassure her in those intense times. See, that insecurity will begin to reveal itself in a lot of ways, and you've got to be sensitive to this. Guys, that word sensitive, look it up. It means aware. You may catch her asking you, do you love me? Where'd that come from? Of course I love you. If she's asking, then she needs some reassurance. And by the way, if she has to ask, it doesn't count. She may say to you, and you may take it as accusatory, she may say to you, don't you think you watch too much sports? What? What she's saying to you is, would you choose me or that to look at right now? Do you choose me? She may say to you, you know, I think you spend too much time at the office. She's asking you, do you choose the office or do you choose to want to be with me? She may even get aggressive and begin pushing you away. And you can't figure that out because as she's pushing you away, she's complaining that you're not getting closer. Well, the issue is this, that when you were dating, you let nothing stop you from getting to her and pursuing her. And she wants to know if you still have that intensity in wanting her. Will you still pursue me? When that happens, guys, we have this tendency to want to withdraw, to get into our own space. Here's what God says we should do. Paul, writing to the church at Galatia, says this. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of God. 
or the law of Christ. See, that law of Christ is this, it's love. And he said, she has this burden. And the burden is this. The burden means to be going under. It's like you're just going down and you can't get up. She said, she's carrying that and she's communicating it to you if you listen. And if she's going under, then you need to carry it. And that word actually means to go step by step with her, lifting that load. You say, but if I've got to do all that, what about my rights? Well, we go back to that scripture again. It says, marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights, but marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. So guys, if you get frustrated with her, you get angry with her, when, when you feel that things are intense, and, and you know when those things are intense, you, you begin to detect them. Three weeks after she's begun feeling that, you detect it. Oh, is something wrong? When that happens, instead of going to find your space, it's really important that you say to her these words, I want you to know that we're okay. In the midst of an argument, when things are really intense and, and you want to break away, you still need to communicate, but I still want you to know that we're okay. She needs to know that because we process differently. If you were here on Wednesday night as we're going through the series to laugh your way to a better marriage, and, and I've got to tell you, if you weren't here and, and you have any inkling to come, please do because I've never laughed so hard in my life. My jaws hurt and my stomach hurt from laughing so much. And the truths, you have to laugh because the truths are so real, you'd start crying. So it, it, it's good stuff. So it's 7 o'clock Wednesday right here. So Mark Gungors begins to de- describe to us the difference between a man's brain and a woman's brain. And he said a woman's brain, if you, if you understand that a woman's brain is like this spool of wire and everything is connected, and he goes, everything is just flowing and, and everything touches and it's fueled by emotion. That's why when they have memories, the emotions are tied to it and, and everything is connected to that. So that if there is an issue with you, if she's feeling the lack of love, if she's feeling that, that you don't care, it connects with everything else. She just can't lay it aside and deal with everything else. That is why when you say to her, is something wrong, and she says nothing, it's something. It's all connected together. Now see, our problem, guys, is this, that our brains, as, as Mark explained it, we have these boxes, and these boxes never touch. And each box only has one thing in it. So that's, that's, that's why when I go out to mow the yard, that's in the box. I'm, I pulled that box out, and I'm mowing the yard. Pam can come to the door, and her mind's going, and she can say, and when you get done with that, would you please make sure you wash the car and, and clean out the gutters and, and trim the hedges? I say, stop, 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 stop. Washing the car is not in this box. If you want to put it on a list, I will put it in a box. But this box must be finished first, and then I will pull out the wash the car box. But don't give me more to do. List it. And she can't figure that out because we process differently. So here's the deal. When I get intense with Pam, when we get into an argument, I can take that emotion and I can put it in a box and I can say, I need some space and I'll put it back and I'll go over here and I'll watch the Steelers play. I love that box. We even have a nothing box. 
Well, what's in there? Nothing. I love that box. What are you doing? Nothing. And she can't figure out how I can do it. Nothing. Because she's going, things are flowing. So here I am with my emotions. I just put them there. And I'll come back to them later when I have settled down and after the game is over. She can't put that away. It's still connecting to everything. She just, it's, it's, it's just interfering with all because it's all connected. She must deal with it. So if she's feeling that insecurity, it's got to be dealt with. One woman, woman honestly said this. She said, all I want is him to know that half the time I'm just as confused as he is. And instead of leaving me alone to calm down, I just want him to come close and give me a hug and let me know he loves and he, loves and he wants me. He wants me to feel better again. I've got to do that so that I can say to her, I still choose you. I still want you. Now, see, in those intense times, you've got to reassure. But also, we've got to pursue her at all times. You know, every time you ask her out on a date, you know what that date said? Having that date said this, I choose you. Of all the girls on campus, I choose you. Of all the girls in the city, I choose you. I choose you. You're the one. When you got engaged, you know what that said? Of all the six billion people on earth, I chose you. So guys, in our minds, we think, great, engagement. Done deal. We're over. It's complete. For her, engagement is a whole life now of him saying, I choose you, I choose you, I choose you, I choose you, I choose you. You're the one I choose. I choose you. You choose. I choose, I choose, I choose, I choose, I choose. I choose you. I choose you. Good morning, honey. I choose you. And we do that, don't we, guys? So when my wife comes and sits down and I'm watching the game and she sits down with her computer and she's Skyping and doing bills and texting and, and, and all of that stuff and my box says football and she says, oh, by the way, did you know that, that, that Julie called and, and, and did you know? And I know she wants to talk. My box says, get her out. She's not allowed in this place. Get her out. I want to tell you that one of the greatest creations God allowed is called the DVR. Because all I got to do is go, honey, what? Now, if you don't have a DVR, pray real hard for one. Because what she's saying is, I need for you to listen. Because listening puts our hearts together. And right now I need that. Because I need to know that I'm more important than the Steelers game or the Browns game. And for some of you guys, that is a toss-up. There are those times when there needs to be those, those thoughts that say, I thought of you, I chose you. You're driving by Starbucks and you know she likes the Frappuccinos and, and you're tired but you pull in and you get it and you take it home and you hand it to her and she says in her mind, 
of all the thoughts he could have had today coming home, he thought of me. He chose me. During the day, you, you, you had a moment and you texted to her and you said, just thinking about you today. Of all the thoughts you had today, you stopped to tell me you thought about me today. You're at Wegmans to, to pick up some, some, some stuff for the game and, and you see the Gerber daisies there and you think, oh, she loves Gerber daisies. And so you grab them, you take them home and you hand them to her. And she goes, Gerber daisies. Oh, Gerber daisies. And you wonder what's so, she's so excited about Gerber daisies. What she's excited about is of all the thoughts you had today and all the things you're thinking about, you thought about what she likes. You thought about her. You chose her. those words. Sometimes she just needs to hear the words. The words are important. Napoleon. Did you know that Napoleon wrote 75,000 love letters to his wife? Let me read to you one of his poems. My one and only Josephine, apart from you there is no joy. Apart from you the world is a desert where I am alone and cannot open my, my heart. Oh, my adorable wife, I don't know what fate has in store for me, but if it keeps me apart from you any longer, it will be unbearable. My courage is not enough for that. You guys write like that, don't you? I choose you. Winston Churchill, married for 56 years, whenever he was separated, he and his wife would send letters, and even in the same house, they would write each other letters. Winston Churchill writes, My darling Clemmy, in your letter from Madras, you wrote some words very dear to me about my having enriched your life. I cannot tell you what pleasure this gave me because I always feel so overwhelmingly in your debt if there can be accounts in love. What it has been to me to live all these years in your heart and companionship, no phrases can convey. I choose you. You guys remember Jerry Orbach? I was on Law and Order. Jerry was married for 25 years, and in the mornings he would go down and he'd write a, a poem for his wife and leave it by her coffee cup. This is one of his poems. Valentine, Valentine's Day is here again. The weather looks cold and clammy, but I can happily go to work and try not to act too hammy because I've got warmness in my heart from my sunshine, my lifeline, my lammy. I wish I could stay home and give you a kiss. XXX, Jer. I choose you. One of the greatest and perhaps the greatest college coach ever in basketball was John Wooden. John Wooden was married for 53 years and his wife died. On every 21st of every, or on the 21st of every month, John Wooden would go to the graveside and he would write his wife a love letter and leave it on the stack of letters that had been there previously. Well, what'd they say? Nobody knows. The family won't look at him. But it's an amazing thing that John Wooden still says to his wife, even after she has died, I choose you. She needs to hear from you. I choose you. Your intimacy, whether in bed or out, needs to continue to grow and you need to pursue to say, I choose you. So a survey was asked of women, and, and here's the question. What's the most important thing you wish your husbands 
your husband or your significant other knew, but feel you haven't been able to explain in a way he understands? What do you want to say that you really want him to know, but he doesn't understand? And I read that question and it freaked me out because I thought, oh, geez, what would my wife say to me if she really could say what she wants to say? Because I know how, how, how full of foibles and, 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 and stupid I am sometimes. How I don't get it. How I don't treat her like she needs to be treated. And if she had just that opportunity to say, yes, this is what I want you to know because you don't understand and I can't say it that way. And it makes me not very confident. Do you know what they said when asked that question? I bet you didn't know this that she wants you to know you are my hero. I cried too when I heard that. That was all a setup. We pinched right at the right moment. You're my hero. She may not be able to tell you. In fact, you may say, well, it seems to be the opposite. Nine out of ten women agree that although I may not always show it well, I do deeply need respect and desire my husband. Did you hear that? Let me tell you again. Nine out of ten women agree that although I may not always show it and show it well, I do deeply need respect and desire my husband. Do you get this, guys? This means that the average ordinary guy, the person who sometimes leaves his fly down on the toilet seat up, that guy, is their knight in shining armor. She needs you to be her warrior, her comforter, her admirer, her best friend, her superman. Paul told the husbands in Ephesus, he said, you want to get this right, then, then love her like Jesus loves the church. And, and, and we have trouble with that. What does that mean? So this morning I want to leave you with this, what that means and how much it means. So what I did, I said, I was saying, God, what does that really truly mean? And so I, I went back to Psalm 91, and there's this, this passage in Psalm 91 where God explains how much he loves his people, and it's, it's replicated in how Jesus loves his church, which means this is the way that I'm supposed to love Pam. So what I did, I changed the wording a little bit, same, same implications, same thought process, but I, I made it so that it's me speaking to Pam, a man speaking to his wife. And here's the vow God makes, here's the vow that Jesus makes, and here's the vow that we should make as the hero to our wife. Because you love me. That word love really means because you delight in me. I will rescue you. It means to carry, to pick up and carry away from danger. I will pick you up and I will carry you from danger. I will protect you. That word means that I will lift you up and put you in a place where you can't be gotten to, where you'll be strong and no one can get to you. And not only will I pick you, take you away, but I will put you in a high place. For you acknowledge my name. It means you see me as I am and you still love me. You will call upon me and I will answer. And the word there means I will be attentive to you when you call. I will be with you. I will accompany you with you in trouble. I will accompany you when everything squeezes in. I will deliver you. I will take you away. 
and I will honor you. I will put weight of honor upon you. Of what you need, I will place on you so that it's a weight on you in, in a good way. With long life, with long days, will I fill you up. And I will show you my salvation, simply this, that it will be so apparent that I am the person who has rescued you and taken care of you and honored you. You will see it clearly because I have gone to that degree. How much does that mean? Listen to one woman's honest response. My husband smiles at me when he comes home from work and discovers that the kids have drawn monsters on my legs with markers. He appreciates egg sandwiches and SpaghettiOs more than a gourmet meal. He believes that I'm a better mother, more talented, and a more virtuous person than I actually am. His eternal optimism changes me ever so slightly, day after day, into something much more beautiful than I'd otherwise be. He's imperfect, real. I had to look that up. It means childish. He's imperfect, childish, and sloppy, yet strong, wise, and loving. The fact that I get to live with him over the course of my lifetime is one of the biggest scams I've pulled off. I keep waiting for him to wake up, jump over the mound of unwashed clothes, and bolt out the door. But he sees even my imperfections as endearing. And over the past 10 years, we've both changed. But the one thing that remains constant is my utter and unashamed need of him. Not to mention he's really good in the sack. I bet you didn't know that. So this morning, how I want us to close this out is this. Guys, she needs to know, I still do. She needs to know that you're in this for the long haul and that you're going to keep working on getting those spaces out of the way. You're going you're to become a student of who she is so that she can understand, I still choose you. And you're going to realize and take the role that she has for you, which is her hero. So I'm going to invite you all to stand. And nobody move out. I'll give you that moment in just a few moments. Here's what we're going to do. First of all, if you want to know more about a relationship with this God who loves us to this degree, we don't want you to leave here without having that opportunity to understand that in a greater way. So stop by the information desk in the back and ask for the gift that I'm inviting you to have this morning. It will help you on your journey with Jesus. But I'm going to ask, before we dismiss, that guys, if you're here with your wife or the woman that you're going to marry, you're in love with her and you're going to... Don't go up and just say, hey, by the way, you're the one I'm going to marry. You already have to be in the relationship. Okay? I want you to grab that person and just come down here and stand with me because we're going to seal this together in in a unique way. So just if your wife is here, grab her and just come down and stand, would you? Or the one you're going to get married to, just come on down without hesitation. Come on. That's it. Make room. Keep moving in. And we're simply going to, I'm going to pray a a, a prayer blessing on all of us, and then here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you to turn to your wife and give her this vow that God has given to us and Jesus has given to us, and I just read it to you a few moments ago. We're going to put it up on the screen. Guys, can we put it up there? I want you to say your pledge to her, and then when you're done, Lay one on her. 
okay? If you don't know what that means, someone will explain that to you. <laughs> she probably will. Okay? I'm going to wait till everybody gets down. That's great. Make room. Keep moving in. And as they're coming, I just want to say, some of you are sitting there today and, and you're going through some tough times and your marriage has fallen apart and you wish you could be here with your mate. And I'm going to just tell you that we're praying for you. That the God who, who loves us to this degree loves you and he knows your heart and it's broken and he will heal it. And we're here to help you walk through that. So let me pray for us. Now may you discover his great love for you. And may it become the pattern that you will follow, gentlemen, in loving and caring for your wife. And may you find the patience to understand and the joy of giving to her what she needs. And may your marriage grow deeper and deeper in how God has intended it to be. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.